Hey, what's up, everybody? John Odermatt here, host of Felony Friday. And did you know that we have a weekly show dedicated to sports and gambling and telling ridiculous stories? It's not a uh, public show. It's behind our paywall in the Lions of Liberty Pride. It's called Degenerate Gamblers. It is myself and Brian McWilliams and the elusive legal counsel of the Lions of Liberty, Rico. And every week on Degenerate Gamblers, we review what's going on in college football, pro football. Maybe we talk a little bit of playoff baseball. Not much, though. But more importantly, we tell ridiculous stories from our daily lives and from our past. So... In order to get access to that, you got to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty to get access. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. If this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, shame on you. What took you so long? This is the 198th episode. You got a lot to catch up on. But thank you if this is your first time. Thank you for tuning in. Please, um, whoever sent you here, whoever sent you this this uh, link, Please uh, thank them because uh, we've got a great show for you today. Got an awesome guest who is going to share her story of uh, spending time in prison, um, the struggle that she went through um, really in the lead up to prison, and then uh, sort of a, uh, a rebirth and uh, a new outlook on life while she was in prison and now um, after, uh, after her time in prison just doing some incredible, incredible things. So I'll introduce my guest in just a minute. Before I do that, I just want to remind you that Felony Friday, one of three shows on Lions of Liberty. The other two is our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's an interview show that focuses on libertarian philosophy interviews, leaders in the movement. Um, Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. Of course, Friday, today, Felony Friday. Um, the best show on Lions of Liberty. But I think Mark O'Brien would agree that this is the most important show. In fact, they say that all the time because uh, it's about the criminal justice system and um, there's nothing more important than the individual. And I think more now than ever, um, with criminal justice reform, we have it's really one of the only um, policies, one of the only... Um, segments out there where we have a unified front, um, a lot of buy-in from people on the left, right, center, progressive, conservative, um, libertarian, moderate, um, whatever. People all agree the criminal justice, justice system is broken and want to reform it. So you can get all three of our shows by subscribing anywhere you get podcasts. We're on all the apps, Apple, Stitcher, Overcast, TuneIn, Spotify. We're on everything. Just uh, go to those, uh, subscribe. Uh, we really do appreciate us. Leave us a, 
a five-star rating and a review to help us out. Do appreciate that. Today's episode is 198, like I said, which means the show notes page can be found at lionsofliberty.com slash FF198. Let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Mimi Harrison. Mimi is an author and a formerly incarcerated individual. She served five years, or almost five years, and was released uh, from prison in September of 2016. She's an author. She's written four books. Uh, Her autobiography is called She's Just Like Me, uh, which tells the story of how a church-going girl became immersed in the volatile drug culture on the streets of America. She's here to share her story and to talk about uh, her, uh, how she advocates for reform in the criminal justice system. Mimi, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you, Don. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, this isn't the first time we've talked. A little peek <laughs> behind the curtain. This is actually uh, the, the second time we're, uh, we're recording here. We had a little technical difficulties. So um, I'll just like to thank Mimi again for, for working with me here. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's get started. What I like to do during these interviews, um, when I bring on people who've, like yourself who have been through uh, the criminal justice system. I like to start at, at the beginning. So just to give my audience some background on who you are, um, uh, if you could just share some details about your early years, where you grew up, what your childhood was like, stuff like that. Okay, well, I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And as a child, I I, I had a great upbringing. My mom and my dad was both in the house. They were married. Um, I We stayed in church. We had a church upbringing. We were always in church. We did everything together. We traveled. Everything was great. And at age of 13, uh, my mom and dad, they divorced. And once they divorced, my mom had put in a transfer, and we moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And at 13, you know, I think my dad was feeling a little guilty and he just was showering me with everything, which he already gave me everything anyway. But it was like, to me, I felt he felt like a guilt trip. So he was just giving me money. So I, I was, I had a very good upbringing and in Kansas city, I got out of, out of control and that's where everything spiraled out of control. And that's how I ended up in prison as well. So was it anything specifically uh, in Kansas City outside of, you know, the, the dynamic of having your divorced parents and, and dealing with that? Was it, you know, was it the people that you were friends with or that, that pulled you into it or, or what, what what happened there? Well, um, before I had left Kansas City, I like, as I said, like my my parents, they always gave me money. They gave me credit cards at like 12 13, 13, even though it was like, you go, you spend two or $300, you bring it back, get you a few outfits. So I always had access to get their credit card or, you know, and go get things. So when I couldn't get what I needed out of the two or 300, I started stealing. So uh, it went from stealing to selling drugs, to being in Kansas City, to, like you said, hanging around the wrong people. 
Mm-hmm. And being there, those, you know, in that age, the crack act, you know, the crack academic. And it was where, hey, everybody's making money. I want to make some, too. So how, how early did you start to, like, understand, like, we're talking about selling drugs, selling crack. Do you start to understand really how much money you could make? And did that happen quickly when, once you started? Well, I mean... To be a 16-year-old, I guess it to say that it happened pretty quick to where you're now you don't have any money, you don't have a dime, to now someone gives you something and tell you, okay, this is $300. You give me this back, you make some. Now I'm making $300 a day. So it started happening quickly, but the 300 Went to eight hundred. Eight hundred went to two thousand. Two thousand mm-hmm. went to five thousand. Five went to ten. Ten went to twenty. So once it's coming like that, what do you do? You want more. And that's right. what I wanted. I wanted more and more. So during this time, you know, you're starting to get involved in this uh, in the drug trade. You're, you're making money, becoming a su- successful uh, entrepreneur illegal albeit but um you know <laughs> right. un- 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 understanding how to how to make money right um at, at what point or did you ever start to get worried that uh that you could get arrested and spend time in prison well when i guess when i was younger it never really it it crossed my mind because like a lot of the guys that i were dating i mean even not even going to jail it crossed my mind of getting murdered because i had several boyfriends that had got robbed and been murdered or wow. a few that got life in prison. But it, it was like, I'm not going to do it. But then it was like, well, I'm still here. I think I'm slick and I kept doing it. So yes, I thought about it, but it was like, Oh, well, they, they, I'm, I'm smaller than what they're doing. They won't get me. <laughs> so how many years were you, were you selling drugs for? So you said you started at, at what age? I started, I was like 16 years old. 16. Um, and, then, and then when you got arrested, it wasn't for for drugs, but. Exactly. I didn't get arrested. I got indicted in 2010. Okay. So from 2000, I mean, 1998, 1988 to probably 2005, yeah. I sold drugs. Even though I had jobs in between, a couple of jobs, not many, but I did have a job. But it was like, no, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think, hey, I'm here for eight hours making this, like $150 a day. I make $150 in 10 minutes. Yeah, and you're making that at work, too, and you got to pay taxes on top of that, too. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. So... How did it all go down when you did finally uh, get arrested, get caught? Well, um, I, um, like I said, I got indicted in 2010. So pretty much after like selling drugs, it was like, I'm not going to sell drugs. Oh, I'll just, I'll switched and start doing fraud, which I felt, well, if I just do fraud, that's not as bad as drugs, which it was because I was hurting people. You know, mm-hmm. taking all their money and they would have to, you know, 
had to think about it like what when somebody stole my money because I've had my money taken off of a credit card and you know so I'm like I'm still destroying someone's life so but I I kept doing it so when I stopped that's when they got me well I stopped. I didn't completely stop. I called someone for to get a flight for someone, and it was a good friend, which was an informant. And she, I called someone to get her airline tickets, and that's how I got indicted. Okay, so so the system was like you were using other people's credit cards to buy airline tickets, or yes, okay. So when when you did get indicted. Um, did you understand at that point in time what kind of time you were facing? Did you understand what kind of trouble you were in? Um, yeah, I, I did, but you know, I, I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know I was looking at seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Cause, because for one, I'm like, was well, fraud. I called somebody. I mean, these phone calls, what I was thinking was, okay, they're a couple of hundred dollars. So maybe they'll charge me with what I did, but they charge me with everything someone said I did plus what I did. So hey, I mean I mm-hmm. was guilty. I, I I do admit I was guilty. And I I will say this. I had a long run, so hey, it was time to sit down. And had I not got caught up, I probably would still be doing the same thing. So I guess God, not I guess, God did it for a reason. So once you were in prison, you're sitting in that jail cell. Um, you know, was there like one moment or was there something that happened that, that caused you to reflect upon the way you were living, the choices you were making and sort of uh, initiated that change? Or could you walk us through that? Yes, well, I mean, that actually happened before I got went to prison. I, it, it was when I was self-surrendering and I had to walk away from my children. That's when I realized how much my family needed me. And it was never about money with them. It was about they needed me. So that, before I ever even got in prison, that was that was the main thing that it was like I'm leaving my children. I did something bad that I shouldn't have done because my family needs me. And once I got in prison, that was the same thing. Like my my family needs me. Mm-hmm. I left a 11 year old child behind. You had an 11 year old, and how old were your other kids at that time? 11, 25, and 27. Okay. And actually, my son was my co-defendant, and he's the twenty-seven-year-old. Right. And what what sentence did he end up getting? He he got two years parole. Um, they indicted him because he the informant. She gave him one hundred and seventy dollars um, for me, and oh, really? also it was a, a yeah. She she gave him one hundred and seventy dollars for me, and he took that. And also, they found the confirm. It was a confirmation number in his phone, so he he got indicted. He's never been in trouble in his life, and I mean, he's a good kid. I mean, really, like no gun carrying, no anything. So, I mean, hey, I I was guilty. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. Is was that a felony or? 
Yes. Yeah, man. Yes. Well, at least he didn't get time for that. But yeah, that that really stinks. Yeah, but he he got a federal number, and I mean yeah. that that's ridiculous for a hundred and seventy dollars. It is for sure. Yeah. So, it, you know, being away from my kids more than anything. You know, once I got in inside. It was, I did what I did. I I have to take responsibility for what I did, and I take total responsibility. That that was hard. And, you know, thank God I had a really good support system because I was shipped around, and my family came no matter where I was. And other people, they, they didn't get visits. They don't get phone calls. They don't get anything. And it's so important for people. People have someone that's incarcerated i mean just send them a letter mm-hmm. it means so much yeah 100 percent agree with that um you know i don't know if there's been studies done on it or not or uh, i don't even think it matters if there's been studies done it's just it just makes logical sense um the people who are in prison who have friends or family or loved ones on the outside who are supporting them, you know, reminding them that they matter, you know, keeping keeping them in the loop on things that are going on the outside. That keeps them connected and uh and, and gives gives some hope. So and that is that's so important. And you know, I guarantee you if they looked at it, people that have support and people that don't, probably by a pretty large majority, the ones that have support probably uh there's some correlation there about having more success, you know, once, once, uh, you get out of prison and re reintegrating into society and all that stuff. So, and uh, I, to- I totally believe that. I, I really do. I, because I watched it firsthand and i watched women that had, didn't have anyone and they get out here and I just see things like on my social media. And it's like, they're like, I can't get ahead and this is happening and that is happening. But, I guess when when you have a, a, a support or in you know instrumental supportive support support, it it means so much. It mm-hmm. does. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially so you you were pretty you were locked up for almost five years. So mm-hmm. if you think about just technologically from that perspective, being thrown back into society, you know, and having to learn all the new stuff when you got out. Um, you know that alone, plus the fact when you get out, you probably didn't have a driver's license, so you needed help getting around, um, finding a place to live. Um, to to, yeah. to have help with that stuff is it's immeasurable, really. It really is, and it you know why we're in prison. They give us all these classes, and they tell us that about all these reentry programs, reentry this, reentry that. When we get out here, there's no one to help us. You go to see your PO. They tell you everything, what you need to do, and that's it. There's no help for for um, anyone getting out of prison too much. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's and it's. I mean, at the end of the day, the vast majority of the people who are in prison are going to be out eventually, and to not uh, you know really provide resources when you're in there and, and things like that and and to not give a helping hand once you do get out um really it's a public safety issue because you're, you're just making things less safe not only for uh the person who's being released but for you know if they get back into uh the behavior that got them 
it got them locked up in the first place. It's just a it's a cycle. I mean, that's, that's yes, for, that's exactly. For right? Yes. But I, I do want to ask you a couple more questions here uh, about your time Problem. in in prison. Um, did you have a uh, a mentor or somebody in prison that was you know able to help you out and and uh, help you to navigate? Yes. Um, well, actually, I had a couple of mentors. Um, at the first prison, I I had a um, lady. Um, well, she actually she helped edit one of my books and. Her name was Francine Sweet, and um, she was a Jewish lady, and she was very sweet, very kind, and everyone would say, well, she doesn't like black people, and I'm like, we talk every day. She hugs me. Mm. You know, we we a kiss on the jaw, like, you don't have a good day, so I'm really dark, so if she don't like black people, I don't understand it, so she was a really good mentor. I was in Coleman, Florida with her. Okay. And um, when I got to Greenville, I went to the drug program, and I met a lady. Her name is Topeka Sound. Right. And actually, she's um, she's she she does dignity um, for prison reform, and she she's out of New York, and she has a what is it a, the, a transitioning home for women called the Loam. So we would walk the track, and she would tell me all of her ideas and. She would talk to me about my books and what was I going to do. And I told her I'm going to release a book when I get out. And I did that. And she's on CNN. And she's, I mean, she's really doing a lot for prison reform. Yeah, I need to get her on the on this podcast, too. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Yes. She was so, just on the Tamron Hall show the other day. So Really? Yeah, okay. Yes. Very happy and proud for her. So, yeah, I, I see her. I met a lot of women. I mean, I met a lot of mentors in there because it's certain thing people think, oh, they're they in prison. You know, they do did this and that, but we're in prison. We made a mistake, and other people have to know they did things before, and they probably just didn't get caught. We mm-hmm. made a mistake, and we paid for it, and now we're back out in society trying to get it back together. Yeah. They say the uh, the average citizen commits three felonies a day, so the the only difference between people in prison and people who aren't is people in prison got caught. So it's it's not like everybody's not a uh, you know bending the law a little bit or or, or breaking the law. Uh, that's that's just a reality, right? So I, I wanted to ask you. Um, I know that you wrote your first book actually before you went into prison, right? Yes. Um, I I actually started writing when I got indicted. Okay. So and, and, and you finished it before you started to serve your time? Yes, I did. I finished it. Uh, actually, the day before I got indicted, I had my first book, book signing in Kansas City, Missouri, because I live in Atlanta. So I got indicted in Kansas City. And the day, the night before I had a, the day before I had a book signing that read really well. And that was my first book, my autobiography. She's just like me. Okay. And what what does, what does the title, does the title have meaning? I'm sure it does. She's just like me. Um, actually it does. I mean, actually, well, I get ideas when I'm writing and, 
I'm not sure if you ever are if you're aware of Jamie Foxx's song. She's she's just like me. And he's talking about popping bottles in the club and she's showing people love. And it's a lot of things he says. And I'm like, that's the name of the song, because that's me. That was me. That was me. So that's where that name came from. It's like basically what got we felt, hey, if a guy can do it, we can do it, too. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't about being dominant with the guy. It was about just selling drugs or Making money, making money, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Okay. When did you first uh, realize you wanted to write an autobiography? Oh, well, probably like 1997, 8. I, I was telling people, I'm going to write a book, and I said it for years and years, and people would say, you need to write a book, because I was always everywhere running around, the United States just doing things, basketball games, mm-hmm. games, football, Super Bowl. I was everywhere. So then it's like, you need to write a book. And I didn't. And when I got indicted, some I picked up my computer and I started writing. And now I have three books published and I have one that I'm about to publish. And I also have my own publishing company called Boss Status Publishing. So... We even help people that's incarcerated. If they want to get books out, we help them as well. Oh, that's awesome. So how hard was that to to get off the ground, the, the Boss Status Publishing? Um, well, I have a business partner, and her name is Cherie Singer. And she was out here before. I, she was out, you know, here, and she's in the corporate world. So we pretty much had our everything going before I even left. So she was doing handling everything when I was gone. So when I came out, I just pretty much had to pick back up and, you know, relearn how, you know, just re-educate myself on everything. And everything's going pretty good now. I mean, I won't say that it's great because I'm still trying to get myself together. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I know that you like to cook as well. So w- would you say that your two passions then are are cooking and uh and writing? Yes, cooking, writing and I'm just I just love people. I love hard. So mm-hmm. those are my passions to just help people. Um yes, the cooking I I'm planning on having a food truck within the next 2 years and hopefully in the next after that I would like to have a restaurant. Okay, so what would be the theme of the food truck? Oh, that's actually, actually, that's what that's what I don't know what I really want to have on it because yeah. there's so many different food trucks that I do want to be different. But right now, I'm just aiming for the regulars like uh, burgers, fries, chicken. Mm-hmm. So, not like greens, you know, the sides, soul food sides, macaroni yeah. and cheese. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, food trucks are awesome. <laughs> They're one of my favorite things. But uh, I, I know that they, uh, depending on the city, you know, you got to get all the permitting and all that stuff, which can be which can be a headache. But uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with that because I love food yes. trucks. You'll have to try my cooking. 
Yeah, for sure. Getting uh, getting hungry just uh, just hearing about it. Um, I do want to ask you another question here. So, you know, we've talked about some of the things you're passionate about. Um, you know, I personally believe that each individual has you know unique gifts. You know, some people call them superpowers. Um, things that really, uh, you know, when we're when we're using them, um, you know, we're really able to help the most people, impact the most lives. So. What would you say uh, your gift or your your superpower is? I think it's my honesty and integrity. And I think I draw people to me. And it's like like people will come for advice or they just didn't. uh, People come around me and they say my spirit is so warm. Hmm. So it's like I'm always, I'm a nurturer. And I, I guess I'm always trying to help or give. I don't care if it's feeding someone or just listening, not even talking, just listening. And so I I would say that's my gift, even though writing and those, but that is my my true gift. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I would definitely agree with that. Just in the short time of spoken with you, I said at the top of the show, we had the technical difficulties with the recording. And uh, I mean, you were, we had to, you know, we had to do this again and you were immediately without a question, how can I help? How can we do this? And uh, yeah, so I I 100% agree with that. (laughs) Yes, no problem, John. So before I let you go here, I do want, um, you know, my listeners to know, how to uh, learn more about you, maybe follow you on social media, how to uh, read your books. Um, I, I can link to, I can put links on the show notes page. Are they all on Amazon or? Yes. Yes, they are. They're on Amazon. They're on um, Kindle. They're on the Kindle. They're on the um, iBooks on iPhone. They're, they're pretty much everywhere. So, but okay. Amazon, Amazon.com. And I also, like if you go to my Instagram or my Facebook and they like send DM me or something, I also do sign copies myself. I have books on hand that I will sign as well. Okay. What's your Instagram handle? Um, Boss Status Pub. Okay. So that, that's all your and social media, Boss Status Pub. Yes, it is. Okay. Everyone, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, every one of them, they're all the same. Boss Status okay. Pub. You know, I forgot. I said I didn't have any more questions, but I forgot one. Um, I think it's important, um, especially you know, considering what you've been through. And when you look at the timeline, um, five years ago, about I guess it was was it five? Yeah, I guess it was less than five years ago. You got out of prison in, in twenty sixteen. It's twenty nineteen now, so so three years. Um, yes. If you look five years into the future, um, where do you see yourself? You know, what kind of what kind of goals do you have for, for five years from now? Well, uh, for one, the first first and foremost, uh, my fourth book will be published and released. And hopefully within five years, I'll have another one coming out. Um, within a couple of years, I would like to have a food truck. And in five years, I should have a restaurant. I like it. That is, uh, that's a lot. That, that that's exciting though, and it's all stuff you're passionate about. Yes, most definitely. 
That's fantastic, Mimi. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Mimi Harrison. I am so excited to see what the future holds for her. No doubt that it'll be a food truck and a restaurant and more books, successful books, much success. I wish on Mimi Harrison because she definitely deserves it. Just an outstanding uh, lady to talk to today. Really happy with our conversation. It's such a big heart. If you guys knew uh, what happened with uh, our interview and it was a mistake on my end, and she was so gracious and giving me more of her time. Just want to thank Mimi for uh, for just being an awesome person. So I don't have a lot to add today, guys. I do want to uh, just talk about our Alliance of Liberty Pride. You hear me talk about it every week. Why is it important? What is it? Um, if you don't know, Lions of Liberty, myself, Mark, and Brian, um, our other contributors, JB, Rico, Howie, all of us do this. We don't take out any money for ourselves. Um, we do uh, obviously invest money back into the show, uh, invest money to help us travel around, go to different events, things like that. Invest money to get us new equipment, better equipment, so this uh, podcast sounds better and better each and every episode. And we're always going forward, not backwards. Eventually, we would love to be able to um, sort of build a revenue stream, if you will, off of this podcast to be able to help us uh, to free up more of our time, to give you a better product. And in order to do that, um, we're going to need your help, guys. So the way that you can help us is by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And you can give us as little as two bucks a month and you get access to our private Facebook group. You give us five bucks a month, you get our bonus content. Uh, Ten bucks, you get a bunch of merchandise and stuff like that. Up from there, there's a bunch of other levels. I do want to highlight our $50 level where you actually get direct input into deciding what we talk about um, in one of our Conspiracy Corner shows, or we're going to have a a movie watch uh, that'll be available to the public, and you will get to decide what movie we watch at that $50 level. So obviously, your contributions help us to grow the show, but What we try to do here at Lions of Liberty is match the value um, of what you're giving us with value in return. Uh, We're doing the best we can to do that, and we like to think we are some of the best in the business at providing our patrons um, with value. So please check that out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Uh, I am exhausted. I've been talking for, uh, sounds like forever, because prior to recording this here, um, I was on a... uh, Another podcast, friend of the show, uh, Tori Wachtel and the Unuseful Idiots podcast, which I believe is airing this Sunday night or Monday morning. I think I published it. So Monday morning will be in your inbox. Subscribe to his podcast to hear me on uh, the Unuseful Idiots podcast. And you get to hear my backstory. You get to hear what I think about gun rights and all kinds of other assorted things. I also talk quite a bit about Ross Ulbricht and Silk Road. So check that out. That's enough. I've talked enough. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend. I'm going to have a great one. And this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.